if kids are growing up seeing their parents um, picking at themselves or changing clothes a lot or yeah. talking negative to themselves in their yes. in the mirror or coaches are doing that same thing. So our teachers, they're mm-hmm. seeing seeing them have a conversation in school about the new diet plan that they're on. I think all of those things influence our next generation. Hello and welcome to Self Talk. I'm Rachel Astarte. Today, my guest is Anne Poirier. She's the author of The Body Joyful, My Journey from Self-Loathing to Self-Acceptance, leader of The Body Joyful Revolution, certified intuitive eating counselor, self-talk trainer, and eating disorder specialist. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. I am too. And, and, uh, So I want to jump right in and ask you what led you to this journey in your life? Well, it started young as a child, you know, and in the book, I talk about seeds being planted and my own self-talk being planted in because of what I hear around me, the experiences that we live through Mm. and the you know, the explanation that we put to them. So if somebody says, oh, what a cute chubby little baby, and your parents repeat that over and over again, it, it kind of sticks with you a little bit, right? Right, right? So those little things that it wasn't meant to be anything other than, you know, how cute, um, right. but the adjective was a little uh, taken a little differently for me once mm-hmm. I got to be a little bit older. Right. And so with that seed being kind of planted in my head, stocky, sturdy, the descriptions of myself, not being able to really fit into the same kind of clothes the other girls did, mm-hmm. being um, a little bit bigger, a tomboy, short hair, a little just uh, rough around the edges, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I really held on to this, uh, this piece of being fat due to a, a nickname that my brother gave me called Annie Fanny Farmer. And I don't even know mm. if it was my brother. It was just a bunch of guys in the neighborhood as I wanted to play football with them. And, mm. you know, they just had this little nickname for me and I'm, it was harmless. If I look back, it was harmless, but I gravitated towards that Fanny word and took it upon myself to make it believe, make myself believe that it was, I'm, my body is not right. I mm. need to change my body. Wow. And so that those, those words and and actions and experiences just led me to this inner dialogue with myself, mm-hmm. you know, our inner critics, our inner voice of really beating myself up for mm-hmm. a very, very long time. It, it, it exacerbated into an eating disorder when I was 12 back in the seventies. Uh, and then just kind of, it led my decisions as I went through life for a long time mm-hmm. until I decided that it wasn't helping me anymore. Yeah, this beating myself up wasn't working. Right, yeah. a shift, a shift of the inner voice and a shift of my own perspective was what I really needed mm-hmm. for me to heal. Yeah, when you say that negative, you know, the, this negative self talk was not helping you anymore. How did you know from sort of going to from you know this this because se- negative self talk sort of self perpetuates. Right. And it just becomes like the undercurrent and you Mm -hmm. don't even think about it after a while. So what made you start to notice 
that, hey, this isn't working for me? Well, I, I talk about this, the story of, of being in a hospital ready to have a surgery on my knee mm-hmm. and the doctor not being able to do the surgery. And what I really wanted with that surgery was to be able to continue to pound, pound on my body. Like that mm-hmm. was my identity was as a fitness instructor. I was in the fitness industry for 30 years um, and it, it was a destructive, a destructive industry for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just made my, my disorder with body image and eating worse, mm-hmm. but I didn't see that until I had some time to sit with myself and realize that uh, what I had wanted for my future was no longer there. My mm-hmm. body wasn't going to be able to do what I thought I was supposed to be able to do with it. Mm-hmm. And realizing how much time, how much energy, how much headspace yeah. I used for most of my life, beating myself up and mm-hmm. telling me I wasn't good enough and not right mm-hmm. and trying to change who I was in order to fit into what I thought other people wanted me to right. be. Did you ever feel like you did fit in? I, f- I fit in with certain things, you know, mm-hmm. so I fit in, uh, in on the soccer field. So I, when I was, um, I had anorexia from about 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. And when I got healthy enough to, to go back to school, I dove my obsession of food and eating into soccer and playing soccer. And so for high school and college, that was really where my, my little niche was. So I did feel connected, but I was always still trying to make sure my body fit in. And I did have a, a little relapse in college due to some words from a coach. So wow. it just, because it was all so f- fresh and continual and, mm. you know, this self-talk, the patterning over and over and over again, like you say, it's automatic. We don't even realize we're saying it. Yeah. Until until we pause and we take a breath and we step back and 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 see right. from a different perspective what's going on. Right. Because if your goal is I want to fit in, um, and the negative self talk is saying, yeah, you know, you, you got to keep, you got to work harder, you got to work harder. You're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Then it feels really positive. Like yes, I'm I'm motivating myself to fit in with everybody else, and who doesn't want to fit in? And so it can be very deceptive. Because you think you're actually encouraging yourself to be fit or be healthy, but in fact, it's coming from a really a, a, a non-accepting place. Right. And I think it was the underlying why, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to change my body or to look a certain way in order right. to be accepted. I, the only way I would feel accepted is if I looked a certain way and then the, the, yes. the acceptance of other people and Right. Oh, you're so this, or you're so that, or all those things that mm-hmm. add to the fuel of the fire saying, yeah. well, yeah, so I should keep going. I should yeah. keep working. I should try harder. What, what was your ideal body size? I have no idea. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have ever. And when I work with clients now, I ask that, you know, it's a certain weight on a scale or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I, you know, like, and then what? Because there's this yes and mm-hmm. kind of a space where I have no idea. I don't think I would ever be what I thought I should be. So mm-hmm. I was always just trying to look different or right. get more get more uh, approval somehow. 
make mm-hmm. make my parents proud kind of thing right mm-hmm. the, those all those underlying tones yeah did so. you did you have parental encouragement as you were anorexic or did they notice there was something wrong they knew they noticed there was something wrong um i was adopted early so there's a little bit there too um but they my mom specifically really was knew something was wrong and worked really hard to try to figure out what was going on. Mm. So, and uh, I think just because my dad loved sports, he Mm. really encouraged and loved seeing me play sports. And so I was always trying to make sure, uh, you know, that I was doing the best I could. And uh, I I think in and it's it was exhausting it, even talking about it. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, uh, you just have so much compassion for the, the younger self, right? The just trying to please and tap dance, as I call it in therapy, too. You tap dancing for your love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So um, so we talked about that moment of transition when you were about to have surgery. How did you move from self-loathing to self-acceptance? That's a huge, huge leap. Yes. And the the book, um, the publishers wanted me to go to self-love. And I was very strong against that mm-hmm. because I think that the society pushes self-love. And yeah. if you're in a place of self-loathing, self-acceptance even seems yeah. very, very far away. Sure. And so I thought, I, I think about it as a continuum. We're on this continuum and, and it's, if, if I'm here in this place of self-loathing, what's working for me, what's not working for me. And when I was able to forgive myself, mm-hmm. right. Um, take some responsibility for myself. Yes. And I think step away from always trying to be somebody else. I was able to say, well, ne- there's got to be another way. Mm-hmm. An, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I have two daughters. I didn't role model very well for them. Mm-hmm. Do I want to continue to role model in this way for yeah. them as they, as they continue to grow up? Mm-hmm. And so with, with those pieces in place, I went to search for help. Mm-hmm. So when you journal, and I think this is another uh, people, I think your audience might relate to this when you journal the same thing over and over and over again, and then you're kind of sick of of seeing yourself journal the same, yes, yeah. the same struggle sure. for the hundredth time. Yeah. You go, maybe the maybe I need to ask for help and mm-hmm. reach out. And that's when I asked for help. I reached out to a therapist, and um, after being in therapy a few times, always trying to make sure that the therapist liked me. This was the right, first, right. This there is the you first. go. There's the people pleaser again. <laughs> sure, yeah, makes sense. So mm-hmm. this this therapist um, was different and. We did some work and that was, that was the start of this journey of trying to find something different for myself. And it really started with just, um, this, this body neutrality place where I it's, my body's not good or bad. Mm-hmm. It is, it is the vessel that I experience life in. Yes. And this is how, this is, this is the body that I was given. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And nobody else has my body. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has my experiences. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has, has my thoughts. Right. And so I can start to make choices around how I, how I show up for my body. Yes. What does that look like? And that is exactly the, the cure for many eating disorders, which is a loss of control. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you begin to shift and say, this vessel is in my control, mm-hmm. then it, it sort of puts 
you know, little tread under your under your wheels there that, oh, okay, I can I can do something with this. And and I love what you were saying also about like, you know, sort of re-identifying, like who am I without this disorder? Uh-huh. You know, yes. who do I want to be? How am I showing up? Yeah, the identities, all the different identities, living in these all these different identities, and which identities continue to serve me right now, and which identities aren't serving me, and allowing that to be able to you know decipher between them, and saying saying thank you to the ones that don't serve me anymore because they did serve me exactly. I think that's important to point out. That's extremely important. We don't want to reject or push away because it gets angry and it comes back. You know, you you have kids, so, you know, if you ignore the child, they have a temper tantrum on the floor, you know, so we want to say thank you for for getting me where I am. That's a that's a really important point. Thank you. Um, So let's shift a little bit into some of your teachings. Uh, You talk about intuitive eating. Mm. What's that? I know it's, it is becoming a little bit more popular now this time of year. You know, if you think about January um, and then right before bathing suit season, there are certain times of year where dieting comes uh, full force at you from all angles. You know, you can't go to the grocery store without seeing, seeing anything or watch TV or any, any of those things scrolling on, on social media. So intuitive eating is tuning into your body. I, I call it turning up the volume on your own body and yourself, like your own hunger. What does hunger feel like for you? For so many years, I was searching externally outside of myself for someone else to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You tell me how to eat. You tell me how to exercise. Oh, this person, they're smart. They must know what I need to eat, how right. I need to exercise Right. instead of tuning into myself. So intuitive eating is just that it's being more intuitive about your body mm-hmm. and your needs. Right. Um, what does hunger feel like? What does fullness feel like? There's no good or bad foods. Mm-hmm. there is a tuning into how foods make you feel. Yes. You know, how does this particular food make me feel? Oh, I, this happens when I eat this. Then there's some autonomy. I can choose to eat it and feel like that and not, mm-hmm. not feel good, or I can choose to not eat it, eat it. And that allows that choice is different than being good or bad because I ate something or I didn't eat something. Right. Or even just adjusting a portion of something you know, I'm thinking for some reason, I'm thinking like chocolate cake or something, you know, that you might feel sick if you have a whole piece of cake, but a couple of bites is very satisfying and lovely. And, and if, you know, I, I talk about this too, with patients about awareness, bringing awareness to everything you're doing so that you're not just sort of sleepwalking through your life, you know, and bringing awareness to, to what you eat, how you eat, how the food tastes, you know, that kind of thing. So you're, you're, again, that's a control. Mm-hmm. Right, that you can choose to be actively participating in your nourishment. You know? Yes, yeah. I love that too. And uh, there's there's something called sensory specific satiety too, especially with some of our hard senses like sweet, yeah. sour, bitter. Mm-hmm. So when you do eat something sweet, I do I call it the great cookie experiment. Mm-hmm. So that I, so that you do take bites very slowly, mm-hmm. very methodically, taste. And then you kind of rate the taste and you pause and you use mm-hmm. all your senses. And it's very interesting how your taste actually diminishes over time. The mm-hmm. enjoyment of the food diminishes over time because of this sensory specific satiety in your, in your, with your taste buds. 
Mm. So it can be really helpful to share with people a tool, right, that they can use to realize that, yeah, maybe I don't need the whole piece of cake because it does make me feel like this, but I can certainly enjoy Mm-hmm. And lovely enjoy, you know, two or three bites and just, oh, savor them and then put yeah. the cake away for another time. Yeah, for another time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now I want cake, damn it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, right. So you and I grew up around the same time. And I remember particularly growing up uh, as a, a young person in the 70s and 80s. And the Jane Fonda and the aerobicizing and the and the absolute desperation to be thin. And then in the 90s, we got the heroin chic and the whole thing. And um, things are getting a little better mm-hmm. now, you know, uh, and I'm so grateful to see that. But it's still hard. It's still hard. And I wanted to ask you if you have any advice about how do we push back against that societal pressure to be thin? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And I, I believe it's it starts with our role models, right? The, uh, the adults who have lived through those periods of time mm-hmm. and are stepping in. I think as we get older, we do tend to step towards ourselves a little bit more and less around what society wants. But mm-hmm. if kids are growing up seeing their parents um, picking at themselves or changing clothes a lot or yeah. talking negative to themselves in their, yes. in the mirror or coaches are doing that same thing. So our teachers, they're mm-hmm. seeing, seeing them have a conversation in school about the new diet plan that they're on. I think all of those things influence our next generation mm-hmm. and how can we change the conversation around all of those things so that we're talking about the person for their talents and their gifts and their unique qualities versus the way that they show up in their bodies. Right. But I think it's even harder now with social media and yeah. especially with the pandemic and all the Zoom time. Right. We weren't designed to be staring at a, a screen at ourselves really for six hours a day. Right. And that that's I, and that's that's why I think some of the studies are showing now that this has mm-hmm. been harmful. So, you know, how we have to change the conversation around yeah. food and body and, yeah. and exercise. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if there are any young people who, who listen to this podcast, but if there were, let's say a few teenagers, what kind of, and maybe this would be good for parents who have teenagers uh, or even younger. Um, how might you manage dealing with peers or coaches or parents who are, uh, self-critical in that way. And so you're standing next to your coach or your mom or whatever, and they're nitpicking the way they look, or I used to be so thin. You should have seen me back when I was, you know what I'm saying? Mm, and, and like, I wish I looked like you, but you, you know what I mean? And, and then there's just this awareness of, um, of, of, you know, hyper awareness of, as you, as you pointed out that the, the way you look is what is important as opposed to who you are as a person, mm-hmm. you know? So how might you guide a younger person to manage when they're someone they look up to is being so critical of themselves? I, I, it's hard to say, I think that's a, such a good question because it's hard to say because we don't know where they're standing or mm-hmm. what they're, what their experiences have been up until then. If they're say in a health class, that's talking about this 
um, shifting of body image away from um, society's thin ideal and accepting all bodies and um, reducing bullying and weight shaming and bull- right, you know right, that right. kind of thing. That's where a child can go, mom, I'm learning about. Right. Oh, did you realize I was, le- you know, these are other ways that we can talk about right. mm-hmm. as opposed to buying in. Yes. You know, and joining the conversation. Yeah. And that's how I think young people can do it within their peers too, is not to jump right into the conversation and go, yeah, you know, you should have seen, or, um, yeah, look at my, look at my thighs or you right. Right. That, that trying to one up kind of each other on this yeah. self bashing space. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think that also touches on the, um, you know, when you're hearing the same message over and over again as a young person, it's really hard not to have that become part of your internal self-talk and patterning. Um, and, and I think it's really important to point out that it doesn't go away overnight. Oh, you know, that this is a practice that people have to remember that, you know, as long as you're making the effort to shift the talk, um, and, and as you said, either speak up or just don't engage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, then, then you may have to do that a lot <laughs> before, you know, before you really, um, uh, can move past that. But, but there's, I was thinking about you and, and myself too, in my, in my youth as well as a people pleaser, you know, trying to do the right thing and be, be the, the good kid, right. Or mm-hmm. be the one that people can rely on and always go to. That's part of it too, you know, is, is to be able to, to let go of the need to do that um, and step into your own power. And I know that's a lot to ask for a teenager, but, you know, um, but just to keep that in mind, right? Right. Absolutely. It's how do you shift that voice? Mm-hmm. And, and we're not taught self-compassion. We're not, right. we're not taught uh, a different voice. Mm-hmm. It's that's, we're taught what we hear around us. That's right. Right? Yeah. And I think that's part of, part of this is how can we shift what's going in? How can we flood the brain, right? With some yeah. different words, some different, um, different ideas, some different thoughts. So a lot of times having, um, if I do work with a, uh, I don't work with teenagers necessarily, but 20 somethings mm-hmm. cleaning up their social media feeds, you know, oh, if you're, nice. if you're rolling through and you're feeling bad about yourself, anything you're feeling bad about yourself, we <sighs> let that go. That's and there's a great, great thing to do. Mm, there's it. so many body positive and, um, influential people that are of all different sizes and shapes. Mm-hmm. And right. they are, like you said, we're seeing it more and more. Mm-hmm. It's, it's slow, slow, <laughs> yeah. it's slower than we both but compared want. to what we grew up with. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot, it's a lot better. You know, I mean, some of the comments, as you said, you know, even, even you growing up, those comments were not meant to hurt you or shame you, but it was just a different understanding of what it meant to be playful back then. And it yeah. really hurts, you know, but people didn't realize that, but you, you've just beautifully segued into my next question, which is what it's about self-talk, which is the name of the show. Um, what does it mean to be a self-talk trainer? Well, I went down to um, Florida to have a course with Shad Helmstetter, who wrote the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, mm-hmm. and The Power of Neuroplasticity. So he's written a couple of different books. And so my husband went down and got trained by him first. 
And this was right during the, the knee stuff, my, my hospital oh, okay. kind of thing. And he came back and um, it was just on this high. It was the greatest <laughs> thing. And, um, and we had this real conversation around our voices and this, this negative voice and why it's so hard to get rid of it and the pathways mm. in our brain and all of the neuroplasticity, the sciencey piece of it. And so, yes. I, I mean, I love all that. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, so just realizing how deep, deeply rooted, mm. basically my own self-talk was mm. and realizing that it wasn't helping me anymore. Mm. And, um, with, and, and of course he, you know, Shad has, um, self-talk audios, right? So you listen to them in the background, you just put them in and you listen. It's like any kind of a positive. There's a series of different people that have um, positive uh, things in the, that you can listen to in the background uh-huh. um, that help with just getting the brain used to hearing some different words mm. that you're just not used to hearing for yourself. Wow. Yeah. And that um, I kind of, I kind of blew it off a little bit and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to work but I did find myself making some different decisions and I did find myself journaling differently, Mm. you know, not in this um, space of always trying to do something different, Mm -hmm. but more on the space of acceptance. Mm. And that's, that's how kind of this whole um, traveling down there for myself to say, let me see what he's talking about. Let me understand that a little bit more so that I could have the background to talk about it. Um, and I, and the mindset piece is so big. It filters down for oh, so much of how we show up in the world. Right. And that's one of the things I love about neuroplasticity is because when we're in that locked in phase of, you know, this is how it is, the pattern, the pattern, the, the hamster wheel, mm-hmm. of, you know, we think that it can't change, but it can. And that's what's so beautiful about our brains is that we can reprogram them. Um, just, and, and, and for people who are a little bit skeptical of that, we have to remember we're born perfect, perfect. We don't have these issues when we're born. Somebody had to program our brain to, to think that way, or a number of people had to, we also had, were complicit because we allowed it to happen, but as a child, we don't know better. So if our brain could be changed in that way, it can certainly be changed in another way. Correct. Right. That whole neuroplasticity. And I talk about a field of grass and, and walking that same path over and over and over again until it's so worn. And then when you change, you have to kind of step into the weeds and it's not, it's not comfortable. doesn't feel good. Um, But the only way to change is to step into the weeds because if, if you don't, you'll stay stuck on the path. And so allowing, even if you don't engage, like you had mentioned earlier, even if you stay put, and you don't go into the old pattern and you don't go into the new pattern, that's still progress. Yeah, that's true. Right. So. And, and so there are so many different ways to get out of that, that stuck place, you know, um, and, and I stress this all the time that you, you know, to pace yourself and not expect so much, you know, there isn't this amazing human being way over there that you're trying to be that, you know, eventually uh, you'll get to, because that too can cause some, you know, feeling of defeat before you even start. Like I can't imagine myself as this person who doesn't have an eating disorder or who doesn't think badly of myself. You don't have to do that yet. You know, just start from here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I named, um, I named my voices like in my head, Oh, great. I have, I, you know, I have my negative voice, which was my mini me and she, and she has her friends. And then I have mm-hmm. um, like a more positive, compassionate, stronger voice, my maxi me and, and just 
by by doing that, it allowed me to to be kind of you know mini me gets angry and tight fisted and closed chested. Yes. So there's a, there's kind of this action, and then Maxi me kind of stands up tall and smiles, yeah. and mm-hmm. so just the whole body piece can make a big difference too, and just the way we show up for ourselves mm-hmm. in our language for ourselves. So if I'm stuck in that place. I go, Oh, there's mini me. Thanks for sharing. You know, (laughs) I looked at your body just went like this. And and, and that, thank you for bringing that up too, because since we are talking about body image and, and being present, working with our bodies, listening to our bodies, seeing our bodies as an ally instead of as the enemy, right? This thing we have to carry around that just doesn't look right. You know, instead of that, if you're, if you're actually tuning in, as you said, to what closes me up and what opens me, what stands proud in me, what voice fuels that reaction. It's another beautiful, healthy way to work with your body. I, I, I work with people, you know, who have disordered eating. I had had it myself for many, many years and you're dead from the neck down. So you know, I, this isn't safe. I don't want to know anything from here, you know? So it's all up here. I got it all sorted out. Right. Until you start to really drop in and start to see that your body is not your enemy. Rather it's um, it's, it really is a source, a source of joy and a source of information and healing that we forget. I mean, even people who, who don't have disordered eating sometimes forget what a resource the body is. Yes. So true. I love the word ally. I love that, Mm -hmm. um, that our body is an ally and how it can, once we're starting to tune into it and not hate it Mm -hmm. can tell us all kinds of things. It gives us so much information, as you said. So, um, I think that those are really important pieces to understand, you know, trying to connect into our bodies rather than separate yes, them. Exactly. And, and that's, that's such an important aspect. And that also might make it a little easier. It's a little scary at first, but I think it makes it a little easier to realize that you have an untapped resource, you know, that, that you can, you can rely on too. So I don't know if this is possible, but do you have an example or a tip of how to shift someone's t- self-talk from negative to, to positive? I think I call it like I have this ABC, right? It's, it, but basically the biggest piece is being aware that mm-hmm. that voice is talking. And okay. I think that sometimes is the hardest, po- hardest point mm-hmm. to hear that voice and notice what it's saying. And sometimes, you know, I'll ask a client, what, what's the voice saying? What are the words? Whose voice is it? Mm-hmm. That, so that awareness of the voice itself. So it's not y- you, it's a voice in your head. So this mm-hmm. awareness of that. Right, right. And then by taking a, some, you know, breathing, just breathing into that, noticing, okay, I'm aware of it. Let me breathe and let me pause. And then what's the best choice to make here to fall into it and feed it mm-hmm. with more and more language, harsher, harsher tones, mm. all of that? Or is it to just stay put and validate it and be aware of it and not go anywhere, but not buy into it? Or do I choose to, is a, is there a catch? Is there a, like a, I don't want to say a catchphrase, but I have like a, um, a standby phrase that you can use anytime. And I, mine is, um, 
thanks for sharing. So <laughs> yeah, nice. It's, it's just, uh, it's validating that it's there. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay put right here. I'm going to just take some deep breaths and pause mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. you know, I can make a different choice and then learning some more compassionate words for yourself. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying mm-hmm. really hard um, yeah. And, yeah. and not falling into, mm-hmm. okay, that, and even, even when we do something that we aren't glad we did, you know, okay. So that might not have been the best idea Mm -hmm. next time. Let me learn from that. What can I take from that? How can I, how can I shift it the next time? Mm -hmm. But instead of beating yourself up as why did I, why did I do that? Why can't I? And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can, um, you can feel a difference, Mm -hmm. right? When, when you, when you're hearing the negativity, and buying into it versus, well, I'm doing the best I can, or, you know, thanks for letting me know, appreciate your input, Mm -hmm. but I'm going over in this direction. Somehow, you know, there's a, there's a a bodily somatic difference in the way that we receive those messages too. And that would be a great thing to pay attention to. So I I love that exercise. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think the tone of voice is something that we don't always you know, um, pay, pay as much attention to, but that really, cause I can, I can hear a specific tone and mm. feel my body go, you know, yeah. tighten up. And that's when I just know that, know that something's going on that I just need to breathe through and what's happening mm-hmm. and, and move through it that way. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Um, so how can listeners find you? Um, they can find me at Anne at the That's my email. And if they want a free copy of the book, the body joyful, um, if they email me there, I will send out a digital copy for them. Oh, so, um, I'm just trying to get the message out and share people, share with people that they're not alone and that they'll find all the maxi me's and mini me's in there and all their voices. Beautiful. Um, and then I, um, as you said, in the beginning, I have a private Facebook group called the body joyful revolution and it the goal there is to change the conversation around bodies and food and weight and kind of rejecting diet culture and society's thin ideal and stepping into being comfortable and confident in our bodies as we are. So that's a free space and resource for people too. So that's the body joyful revolution on Facebook. Okay, beautiful. And I'm going to have all of these links in the show notes so that people can, uh, can follow you and, um, thank you for that lovely gift. I'll make sure I, I put that in there as well. So that, um, so that's Anne at the body joyful.com. Correct. That's yes. where they can email you. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And thank you so much for being on self-talk today. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it, Rachel. <laughs>